the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 462 for April 12th, 2015. Sprint begins offering free international roaming, Apple releases iOS 8.3, and testing Outlook for iOS. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, AT&T on Wednesday agreed to pay the FCC a fine of $25 million to settle an investigation into consumer privacy violations at its call centers. The data breaches, which took place in early 2014, exposed the personal data of 280,000 AT&T customers at call centers in Mexico, Colombia, and the Philippines. The FCC found that customers' names, social security details, and private account information were accessed by call center workers who turned around and provided those details to unauthorized third parties trafficking in stolen cell phones. In addition to the fine, AT&T agreed to notify the affected customers, provide credit score monitoring services, and improve its privacy and data security practices by appointing a senior compliance manager. Now, again, this is uh, something that happened uh, over a year ago, and uh, you were probably aware of it if it did occur. Uh, and we talked about it at that time. It, but this was just, you know, the kind of the final uh, follow up to this year with the FCC's uh, levying of this fine. So $25 million. And uh, if you haven't heard from AT&T already, you probably will if you were affected by this issue. Sprint on Friday announcing a new program called International Value Roaming. Customers who add international value roaming to their plan will be able to use mobile data and send and receiving of text messages for free in select countries. Like T-Mobile's free data roaming offer, Sprint is limiting roaming speeds to 2G. Customers who want access to 3G and higher speeds when roaming will need to purchase additional speed passes available in 1, 7, or 14-day passes. The one-day pass starts at $15. Uh, the International Value Roaming Program also includes reduced charges for voice minutes, which cost $0.20 cents each. Eligible countries include Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Germany, Guatemala, Japan, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Russia, South Korea, Spain, and the UK. Customers can add international value roaming to their service plans for free. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute because this is uh, something obviously T-Mobile pioneering here late last year that uh, we're offering free data roaming services uh, and uh, also text messaging for people who are traveling internationally. Uh, albeit the speeds are a little bit slower than what you're used to, whether it's over your 4G connection or your Wi-Fi. But nonetheless, you do get data services when you're roaming and you don't have to pay extra for it. So I think Sprint has done a good thing here by uh, maintaining the customers that it has by adding this on to their plans. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, the, How can you go wrong with free for one thing? And having any data, even if it's 1x speed, is just infinitely better for free uh, and having it available, not having to worry about paying for it uh, than, you know, 2G or 1G. You know, it's just it's just really great to have that option because, uh, I mean, you could obviously send Google Voice text messages and get email uh, with, you know, maybe it takes a tiny bit longer, but what a great uh, thing to have. Indeed. And, you know, obviously having, you know, the, the ability to get that mission critical data is is really what this is all about. It's not about streaming video or music or anything like that. It's all about just grabbing, uh, grabbing that information that you need or 
whatever it is that that you're trying to do. Uh, it's a it's a great thing, and so nice to see that this is uh, this has been added here. I don't expect to see this from AT and T or Verizon, uh, but I would imagine that we may see uh, some of the the MVNOs that are out there able to somehow work out a deal uh, to, to do this as well. So we'll see with, with what happens there. Cricket on Wednesday announcing new payment plans it says will help customers get devices that can be paid for over time. The first option is for those with good credit, a basic 24-month loan. Customers make an initial payment of $20 and then 24 monthly payments of equal amounts at 0% interest. The second option also asks for an initial payment of $20 and requires a credit check, but offers interest-free payments for just six months. Customers Pay off who pay off the device uh, balance, but for in the six months won't be charged any interest. But customers who don't wait uh, don't will have up to 18 months to pay off the device at a 30% APR. The third option is a 90 days same as cash deal. Customers need to make an initial $50 payment and then pay off the balance within 90 days. The option does not require a credit check. Those financing plans are available for all devices that cost $200 and up and can include accessories and taxes as well. A maximum of five devices can be financed per account. Cricket believes these options will allow customers to obtain the handset of their choice, such as a $700 Samsung Galaxy S6, and pay for the device over time. Cricket this week said new customers who switch to Cricket from T-Mobile, Metro PCS, Sprint, or Boost, or other competitors will receive one free month of service after completing two months of service. In order to qualify, customers must subscribe to either a $50 or $60 rate plan, this offer available for a limited time. Well, no device news this week other than to say that the Apple Watch became available for pre-order this past Friday. Now, as expected, the device was met with strong demand and the delivery times began to slip within 15 minutes of availability. I was able to get my order in very simply through the Apple Store application on my iPhone. Uh, I literally rolled over after my alarm went off, grabbed my phone, uh, ordered the watch, and got the confirmation email at 12.03. I rolled back over and went to sleep. Uh, so it was pretty simple for me. Uh, woke back up the next morning and uh, read all about all the, the problems that people were having and uh, the delayed shipping and all of that. Uh, but either way, uh, as I mentioned on the show last week, I did indeed order what I thought I was going to, which was the 42 millimeter Space Gray Apple Watch Sport. I went with the black sport band. More to come once the watch arrives in the next couple of weeks. So my date was April 24th to May 8th. I'm hoping it's on the earlier side there. Yeah, that usually Apple seems to ship a little bit earlier than their estimates. You know, it's uh, not too bad. And, and I kept seeing headlines, oh, the Apple Watch is sold out, sold out. I'm like, oh, boy, that's terrible. And then I look and it's like, well, it's shipping in, in you know, June. I'm like, well, that's not sold out. That just means it's backordered. There's, it's quite a distinction there. If it was sold out, you wouldn't be able to pre-order it still at this point. So uh, please, people, uh, you know, news reporters, uh, learn how to uh, write uh, clearly, please. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Ultimately, it's. Uh, you know, it's a bummer for those that uh, wanted to get one and didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and had to deal with, uh, you know, waking up to three, four months uh, out before you're going to get your device. But uh, but either way, it still is going to be available and hopefully they can uh, they can help and, and speed up those shipping times. Yeah, but I'm not surprised given the fact that we've got so many variations on this uh, watch. You know, we've got the, the two different sizes with the three different uh, uh, major models with the, the huge number of bands. So I, I guess I'm not surprised that the supplies are a little limited because, you know, they don't want to overbuild here on this initial go around either. I guess not, but at the same time, um, you know, you would hope that they would have a good amount available for people to buy. The other thing here is, um, you know, it, it's every time we've got a new Apple release, and, and as an Apple user, an Apple fan, um, it still bothers me to read these headlines uh, because 
it, it's it's not like this is new news. Apple always uh, creates uh, a pent up demand for their devices. It wasn't until maybe a month ago or something like that that the iPhone six and six plus were were basically ultimately available everywhere. Uh, up until then, there were still lines. I remember three months uh, after it was released, uh, talking to you, Joey, and saying, I- "I'm at an Apple store right now. There's still a line." You know, three months later. So I, this is going to be the same thing for the watch here, and uh, it's it's a seemingly a, a good solid. Uh, demand for this thing, which of course you knew there was going to be. Yeah, the, exactly. And the, the thing that's interesting uh, is the the fact that this could be one of those devices where they, they either can't build them quick enough or the demand's too high for them. And it, it actually may be tough to get a hold of one all year long. It, it, that is possible uh, that it could be a really hard thing to get a hold of. I remember that with the iPad too, uh, iPad as well, I should say. Um, I ended up having mine for a month or so, then I ended up selling it uh, for the exact amount that I paid for it, uh, tax included. And it was just one of those devices that I felt like, uh, you know, it was a great first gen product, but uh, I could, you know, hold off not having one. And uh, and I did, and I waited until the next one came out before I bought it. But I, I feel like that's going to be a similar thing here. So either way, very interesting stuff uh, with the, the Apple Watch. Some other, you know, videos and related stuff came out this week. So if you're interested in that stuff, you can find all sorts of great information over at web, uh, Apple's website. In software news, Apple on Wednesday making iOS 8.3 available to the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch. The update adds several new features to Apple's mobile devices, including more than 300 new emoji and an updated keyword for using the emoji to personalize messages. The update adds the ability to filter incoming messages to help sort out junk. Siri gains the ability to speak in Danish, Dutch, Portuguese, Russian, Swedish, Thai, uh, Thai excuse me, and Turkish. Uh, also, it can now initiate phone calls via the speakerphone when requested. iOS 8.3 was was released as a public beta just last month. This update is free to download. Also from Apple, they released uh, OS 10 10.10.3, which among other updates adds Apple's new Photos application. The Photos app on Apple's Mac computers mirrors the version on iOS devices. Apple is offering users a handful of cloud storage options for managing images stored in Photos. They can be accessed from Macs, smartphones, and tablets. 10.10.3 is also free from Apple. And that, of course, we've probably talked about uh, before, you know, that is amazing upgrade to now have kind of a, uh, a synchronized photo. You know, the photo stream was was a was a great start back a few years ago. But now this is taking it to the next level where you've got it's a managed photo stream, essentially a cloud based thing. But if you have a, a Mac computer and an iPad and an iPhone and, and whatever else that's running iOS uh, 8 point, uh, you know, 8.3 on up, you've now got a unified uh, place for picture management. And it really is handy to have that. And one of the things that I like about photos is that it's essentially a mirror of what you have on your iPhone or iPad if you set it up that way. So essentially you delete it on one and it goes away on all. Uh, it also is available as a kind of a restore uh, in a trash folder. So if you accidentally delete a photo, they are not all, you know totally deleted for 30 days. So you can go back and restore stuff. But the point is, is that I went through on my computer and deleted 500 pictures, which for me was 10% of the pictures that I've taken with my iPhone six since I got it, which was what, six months ago. And uh, so of those 5,000 pictures, I deleted about 10% of them, which were mostly scans uh, of either receipts or things that I would used Evernote for. Uh, and when, uh, you know, when I set up Evernote to start using it, I was fine saving all of those images to my, my photo gallery. But over time, you know, when you get them just kind of duplicated and, and into archives and stuff like that, you t- they're just unnecessary. And so I went through the photos on the computer and just quickly went through and deleted them all. And it, of course, replicated over to my iPad, to my iPhone, and it was really, really nice. So I do like to 
see that functionality on here. So um, I want to talk a little bit about photos here because uh, we, we've we been talking about it here this week. We talked about it last week as well. Um, so just to kind of talk about our photo backup and archival processes, because I think it's a very interesting thing. And I know it's something that a lot of people struggle with, myself included. Um, and uh, so let's just talk about up until, let's just say two weeks ago, what I was doing. So uh, it, it was a fairly simple process. I was using uh, the Dropbox application on uh, my, my phone and my wife's phone. And we were then uploading all of our photos to Dropbox. And then once a month, I set a reminder once a month, I would go and take all of those photos and pull them out and put them into, I'll call them my permanent archive, which for me is Google Drive. Now, Google Drive, the reason I use it is because the cost uh, to, uh, per gigabyte uh, is the cheapest that I have been comfortable with out there. Plus, I also use Google Drive for all of my document archiving uh, and for you know music archival in some cases. And anyway, I, just, I just like having it all in Google. So, that's, so once a month, I pull them out of Dropbox and I move them all into my permanent archive in Google Drive in my yearly monthly hierarchy type system that I have set up. And then that opens up the space back on Dropbox to then upload another month worth of photos into Dropbox. Well, uh, as I've we've gone through the last couple of weeks here with uh, the new iOS 10.10.3, uh, I'm now seeing more functionality and more usability in the photos uh, application. And so I'm wondering, do I need to have that, I'll just say that archive that I used to you know, kind of rely on, uh, or can I somehow get away with, with using this? This is also complicated by the fact that we now have Google Photos as a, a, an app, uh, a function of the Google Drive application where you can now have the Google Drive app upload all of those pictures to, uh, to your Drive account, which is really convenient for someone like me who was ultimately putting all those pictures in Drive anyway. So uh, I have what essentially I'm doing now is running separate processes to upload all the photos to Photos a process to upload all the photos to Drive, and then a process to upload all the photos to Dropbox. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna take a month or two and run those processes, make sure I'm comfortable uh, with how things are going, and I think I'm gonna actually drop Dropbox here from my photo backup process. That is, assuming everything goes well with the other parts of it, um, I'm going to do some data integrity checks, making sure that we've got the exact number of photos and the exact size of the photos and the metadata is all there because I know it works in Dropbox. I want to make sure it's working perfectly in Google Drive before I totally make that switch. But that's the process that I'm running right now. And uh, Joey, we've been going back and forth about this all week about, you know, kind of the nuances of things that we've been doing. But, um, you know, that that's where I'm at today. Yeah, because the big thing about the uh, the Google Drive app for iOS is that it does not use the location-based, um, you know, you have to change locations for Dropbox to upload your your pictures. And, and Mickey, you uh, like to have those uploaded via cellular so you have them uh, available immediately. And if mm -hmm. you need them available immediately and you're not changing a location, you still have to manually launch the app anyway to get them to uh, to, to launch the, the upload process. So that's not really that much of a, a help. And, you know, we've both experienced this issue with uh, the iOS 8 Photos app that it will not upload pictures for you unless you're on Wi-Fi, right? So you have to mm -hmm. be on Wi-Fi for that to happen. And you can't really control when that happens either. Like the other day, I, you know, I told you before the show that we had, uh, I had a couple of videos I took the night before and they didn't show up because they hadn't gotten uploaded from the phone. So I launched the photos app and looked and it says uploading two videos. I'm like, okay, why didn't, why couldn't you have done this sooner? So that kind of frustration where you don't know the process and you can't really jumpstart it. You don't exactly know when it's going to do it is kind of the, 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 the hard part about this process. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, one of the things, too, is these these apps have to be running in order for them to work. Um, and uh, or at least that's that's my my kind of my feeling here is that I'll regularly shut down every app on the phone, restart the phone just to, to kind of free it up and make it start working a little bit, a little bit smoother. But uh, ultimately, it doesn't. Um, if I don't if I don't relaunch photos, photos don't necessarily start working again. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. I haven't been able to pinpoint how that works. Uh, the The drive app appears to be the same thing, and that's always been my frustration with with Dropbox is that it just doesn't it doesn't do what you would expect it to do, which is like on on the Android side, it just like the the instant you take a picture, it's just whoop uploading. It's just it totally knows exactly what it is it's supposed to do, uh, and I think it's just the way that iOS is implemented and and with various things that they've put in place for power saving or not wanting rogue processes to eat up all of your battery. It's just not uh, in the the same realm of reliability that you would hope it would you would have it. Yeah, but with this new drive app, the it, it since it doesn't use location, it uses background processes. Now we have the potential of actually having that update, you know, basically almost immediately. It has the potential to we don't know if it will, but it, it could now. It could. Uh, that's the thing. Is it could? Uh, I'm. You know, once you launch uh, or essentially allow the Drive app on your iOS device to start uploading photos, it's going to create um, a brand new folder uh, on your on your Drive called Google Photos, and then from from within that, it's going to create folders for each year. So for me, it's 2014, 2015, and then inside of those, it's creating a folder that is the two digit value of the month. So as an example, I have 0203 and 04 in mine right now. So that's how it identifies the month of that it's uploading to. And then from there, it actually then uploads the image name. So uh, for iOS, it's, you know, IMG underscore, and then the uh, the actual number of the of the photo itself. So uh, some interesting ways of doing that a little bit different than how I uh, choose to uh, to create my folders. But uh, that's what it's decided to do. So either way, some interesting, um, interesting things to, to consider there. If you've got a good process for photo back, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know by sending us an email about how you do it. Well, coming with iOS uh, 8.3's update, Sprint said it's uh, bringing Wi-Fi calling to iPhones released in 2013 or later. The carrier will push out a small system update over the next few days that will allow owners to make phone calls over Wi-Fi. This will work on the iPhone 5S, 5C, 6, and 6 Plus. Calls made via Wi-Fi will not count against customers' voice plan minutes. Sprint said traveling customers will be able to make free Wi-Fi calls in more than 200 countries around the world. And according to Sprint, 25 of its handsets are now capable of using Wi-Fi calling services. Wi-Fi calling is available at no additional charge when calling to a U.S., U.S. Virgin Islands, or Puerto Rico phone number. EE in the UK also added a similar feature to its late model iPhone. So if you're an EE customer with an iPhone 6 or 5S, uh, let's say, you can now make Wi-Fi calling too. Software news, a problem uh, in the past with Twitter's tweet quoting feature is about to be no longer. Twitter releasing a new feature for iOS, uh, web, and soon Android that will let users uh, separate quoted tweets from their own commentary. The change makes it easier to uh, quote tweets without sacrificing content or redirecting followers to external resources. Retweeting uh, with a comment will allow you to embed the quoted tweet without having an impact on your character limit. There's a limit of one tweet, quote, per tweet, as well as a character limit limit in the tweet itself. 
this is a uh, kind of interesting. I, I don't do a lot of uh, retweeting as with quotes, um, but uh, I suppose for those that do, this is a nice thing. And obviously it looks a lot nicer in the uh, stream there as well. When you're looking at a Twitter client also from Twitter, the social networker social network has uh, gotten itself rid of the discover and activity tabs in mobile applications moving forward. When people use the search bar, they'll see trending stories as well as descriptions of those stories. Twitter believes it uh, will make it easier to find popular content that's getting a lot of traction on the social network. The change applies to Android and iOS mobile applications and will soon come to the web. Following last month's announcement, Microsoft on Friday made an updated version of the Windows 10 technical preview available to a wider range of Lumia smartphones. Microsoft has completed a process called partition stitching, which allows devices to adjust the partition dynamically. Microsoft has finished testing this new version of the technical preview on a wide variety of Windows handsets. The preview is available through Microsoft's Windows Insides Insiders program. Some of the handsets now available to install the beta include the Lumia 1520, 1320, 1020, 920, 925, 928, and a number of other handsets uh, ranging from the Lumia 500, 600, 700, and 800 series. Microsoft said it has fixed a number of performance problems compared to earlier builds, but warned that there are still a number of known problems with the technical preview. A couple of questions here this week. First one comes from Mel. He says, I have a question that may be of interest uh, to not only me, but other people. I'm a Sprint customer for almost a decade. When my current contract ends, I plan to stop getting phones on contract and leave Sprint. Sprint's data network may have hit rock bottom a year ago or so in my town. However, it's not too good currently either. While data is a little better, I'm starting to drop calls in in well-traveled areas, and I've been experimenting with extra phones as well. Uh, The extra phone that I have right now is an unlocked Nexus 3, and I use it uh, a straight-talk SIM on AT&T, also uh, alternating between it and a T-Mobile $30 a month SIM. Both are much better than Sprint. Um, I also have an HTC M7. I love the phone, but not Sprint's network. Uh, I'm thinking of getting the Nexus 6 from Google or Motorola, and perhaps one month at a time, try AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and then see which network works the best. Would likely do this with a straight talk SIM or other prepaid option. So really two questions here. Number one, is there any other phone besides the Nexus 6 where a single handset can be used on all the major carriers, hopefully not lacking any LTE coverage? I think the iPhone can fit this bill, but I don't want to go there. Number two, uh, I can do this with little trouble because I have a Google Voice number for my extra phone and plan to make my Sprint number a Google Voice number as well. So can Nexus 6 Hangouts handle two Google Voice numbers on separate Gmail accounts on the same phone? Hope uh, you can give me some advice in your feedback from the audience as well. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Mel from the Midwest. Uh, Well, Mel, let's go to the first question here about the phone itself. So um, I don't think you're going to find... Uh, the proverbial silver silver bullet of a phone. Uh, the iPhone, as you mentioned, um, does have most of the bands in it, but even that is not perfect because there's a different version for the Sprint network, though may not uh, apply here in what you're looking to do. But either way, uh, on the Android side, uh, the Nexus is probably the best choice. Uh, of course, though, not perfect. You're not going to find uh, as many, uh, or you're not going to find all the bands available uh, out, you know, that are available on all the networks, but you're going to get a pretty good smattering of them. And I would say you're going to have a relatively non-compromised decision by going with the Nexus. So I think you're on the right track, and that is the recommendation that I would make for which phone to try uh, for this. The second question, um, I think it's a bit more straightforward. Yes, you can use the Hangouts application uh, to handle multiple Google accounts and subsequently multiple voice numbers. 
It works this way on both Android and the iPhone. And so you should have some pretty good success with that of uh, being able to get multiple uh, accounts set up there with Hangouts. Um, I do it right now with uh, with phone numbers in three different area codes, as a matter of fact, too, and have all those calls come in uh, and not have to have it forwarded to any of my actual physical phone numbers. Well, that's a great option. I didn't realize it could do that because to me, that seems like that'd be a little uh, technically uh, challenging for Google because it seems like they kind of keep things on the simple. Well, maybe. But again, you keep in mind, you can only have one Google voice number per account. But of course, you can have multiple accounts on pretty any pretty much any Google application that's out there. I mean, you think about your Gmail application uh, that's on your phone and that can handle multiple accounts just fine. It's the same thing with the Hangouts application, because essentially Hangouts is an instant messaging client that is kind of crammed in uh, the SMS functionality to it. And so as a result, then you can also set it up to handle phone calls as well. So I, I do it myself, so I know that it works. So um, it's a it's a great option. I would absolutely take a look at doing that, Mel. You'll just need to set it up on a different Google uh, account, whether it's another Gmail account or Google Apps account or whatever it is that you have. Um, I also keep in mind, I figured out something this week um, just from a, because I had this old, I'll just call it a legacy Google voice number that I don't really use anymore. And I went to to delete it. And one of the things that it said is when I was deleting it, you uh, will not be able to recover this. Um, however, and you will also not be able to register for a new phone number for 30 days. And then I thought, really? In 30 days, I can register for a new phone number. That's actually really interesting. So let's say you've got a Google voice number that you're not using on an account that you are using or accessing frequently not a bad idea to uh, to delete it and just wait 30 days and then register a new phone number and uh, you're you're good to go. So um, that would be probably the recommendation that I would make, Mel, on both of those fronts. So let us know if you have any follow-up questions to that. And of course, let us know how it goes with your testing. Finally, today is a question from Derek. And he says, Mickey, on the most recent episode, you were remarking that the updated Outlook application for iOS and how its notification features weren't there yet. Well, out of the box, that seems true. But if you do a little exploring, you'll find that you actually have a a, a lot of fine controls over the notifications. You can specify on an account-by-account basis if you want to be notified for new mail, calendar reminders, both or neither. For starters, you need to allow notifications for the whole app in the iOS notification settings. Then open the Outlook application and go into settings. You'll see a list of your accounts. Click on each one and to set the notification behavior for each one. Outlook lets you, uh, notifications lets you snooze and dismiss, which is fantastic. Um, I would argue that uh, with the second point that you made that the calendar function uh, is lessened. For exchange calendars with RSVP functions, they're actually far superior to that of the native calendar application. When accepting a meeting invite, the app auto archives the invite message just like in the desktop Outlook client. Also, the event details tab allows you more control over features, fields, excuse me, also an invite list, etc. Enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work and say hello to Joey. I live in the Twin Cities as well, Derek. Uh, Well, Derek, awesome feedback uh, and tips here. Thank you very much for passing these along. Um, so I, I decided to give it more of a go this week with Outlook as uh, a more of a main email and calendaring application. Um, I moved it uh, into my dock. I moved mail out of my dock on the iPad just to test it out uh, and used it for five days. And, and here's what I saw. 
Um, the, the first thing is, is you still need to have an exchange hook in for your contacts on your phone, of course. Um, uh, but also not only for the phone itself so that you can make phone calls from those contacts, but also to actually edit or add different contacts. The contacts in the Outlook application is read only. And so just keep that in mind if you are trying to do anything with contacts is that you can't do it through the Outlook app. It's just it's just this big list of things. And also, you, from what I can tell, you can't sort them at all. So my exchange um, uh, exchange hook in essentially shows my, my contacts and then I have archived contacts and then I have like suggested contacts from emails that I've sent. So the actual, the, the contacts list or the people list in the Outlook application is actually quite a mess. And I suppose I wouldn't be surprised if this is, you know, an upcoming feature where you can edit the contact list and you can sort it and it's got the folder support and everything. I mean, they have to start somewhere, right? So I suppose this could be a future, uh, you know, you know, future feature. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. Like I said, I, you know, I click on it and I look at it and it shows um, one of our friends, Aaron, is the first one that comes up. Um, And then, you know, three down, uh, I show another friend of mine named Aaron, but it shows his actual contact that comes in from, you know, Mickey Papillon's contacts. And then there's one below him, Aaron dot his last name at his company. And that shows from suggested contacts. Uh, And then from under that, it shows Aaron on my exchange contacts. So it shows his name three times in here, which is not really all that helpful because if I look at it on the contacts application um, in, in iOS, I can actually go in and filter out that I, the fact that I don't want to see the suggested contacts as an example. So um, maybe I'm missing something here, but I go into settings and I don't, I don't see an option anywhere in here to deal with that. So um, I, I think that's, as you point out, Joey, maybe a feature feature, but it, it's not there yet, uh, at least as far as not where I want it to be. So that's the first thing. Number two, um, I had the calendar notification, uh, had a calendar notification issue from the very beginning. I could not get notifications to, for the calendar to come through. I turned on the notifications. Uh, uh, I went in and I, I went into the settings, as you mentioned here, went into the calendar notifications, checked those to on, played a sound and, and changed that over to the, the sound that it should be. And they just weren't coming through to me. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe I have to set that, like delete the app and reset it up or something like that because notifications just weren't coming through with the calendar. Uh, so um, it just, it, it just wouldn't work. So that, that was an issue that I had. Uh, next, um, I, you can't simply swipe uh, down an, a draft email while working on it to go back to the inbox. So let me explain. If you're typing an email in mail, you can grab the header bar on it and just drag it down to the bottom of the screen and it kind of saves it in a state, uh, but it's still visible. So you can actually go in to your inbox and deal with other things um, and without having to actually save and close it and then go back to the, the inbox. Um, this is a relatively new thing that you can do in iOS with something I really appreciate doing especially when I'm trying to write an email and reference other emails and stuff like that. Um, so this is this was an issue for me. I found out right away when I started using this for more than just simple replies is that I really missed the fact that I couldn't just swipe down like that. And, and again, that's a new thing, but it's, it's something that's really big in mail, I think. Next up, um, I did end up deleting Gmail on my iPhone. Um, I went with Outlook as the way to get my mail notifications for G- both my Gmail and uh, the cell phone junkie mail accounts. Uh, I personally think it, it offers better lock screen options for things that you can do with those messages. So you can either send a message to the trash or archive it right from the lock screen. Um, it's a, a great way to appreciate uh, that. I appreciate being able to triage email when you use the Gmail application. It only lets you mark as read or archive 
archive. So you can't trash or archive a message. I, th- those are the two options that I do. I never just mark a message as archive. I deal with it right away. So, um, so anyway, so again, Gmail is gone from my phone. So that's kind of an interesting thing for me. And I'm now getting all my push notifications from Outlook. So that's, that's positive. Uh, next up, when deleting or processing an email in Outlook, it doesn't automatically select the next one for you. You have to click on the next email that you want to process. This may not sound like a big deal, um, but it's just one more click uh, or one more tap on the screen that you're having to do. And ultimately, one of the main reasons I decided that Outlook isn't going to be in my main mobile email application. Um, great example is uh, wake up in the morning, you've got you know, 30, 40 emails or something like that to deal with. Uh, and it's really great to be able to just go in and, and do boom, 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 one by one, archive, delete, archive, or move to the next or whatever it is, and not have to click back onto the next email. It's uh, Ultimately, it was a really big pain, uh, in my opinion. So uh, the, the, through all the testing, I did appreciate the use of calendaring while in email, uh, that's something that, of course, you don't get with mail on, on iOS is that you have to go out of the mail application to a calendar app. Um, also, the ability to insert options for scheduling a meeting, i.e. the free time picker is really nice. And as I mentioned on the show last week, seeing the files attached to emails sent to me in the attachment pane is really nice. Um, I'll absolutely be using this from time to time. But here's the deal. Ultimately, I've returned to using mail. Uh, I felt I was less productive using Outlook by default. That said, Outlook still uh, remains on both of my mobile devices. It's a great alternative uh, to using the built-in mail application. Um, and I do like it. And I like going back and forth between it uh, and, uh, and, and, and mail. Uh, this is very similar to how I use Outlook on the PC. I think uh, Outlook on the PC is, a, is a, great, um, a great way to manage your email, but it's not perfect for everything. And I do use the Outlook web application on the PC as well for things like searching, because obviously searching comes up quicker because it's it's uh, got all that information right there and it doesn't have to grind away on the data that's on your computer. So um, I, I use both of those uh, on the PC and I'll use both of them on the, uh, uh, on, on the mobile device as well. So both have their strengths. So why not use them is what I say. But so that is Outlook. Um, as far as my my latest uh, take on this here, um, I like I said, I appreciate having it. And Derek, thank you very much for those tips there on being able to finally manage the notifications because obviously that's that's a really a really great thing to have. Yeah, now you know if you delete the app and reinstall uh, it, it'll probably work right. I, I bet because that seems uh, that just seems too weird for it to not work with those kind of notifications. So that sounds very interesting. I'm gonna have to uh, reinstall this app and take a look at it a little bit more so because some of that attachment handling stuff could come in handy in certain certain circumstances. I probably won't be moving away from mail either, but. Uh, you know, certain times you need this. And I would, of course, Mickey, not recommend you remove the Gmail app, turn off the notifications for it, yes, but not remove it because uh, sometimes every once in a great while, I need to find something uh, in my Gmail account from a couple of years ago. I don't actively use Gmail anymore, but that's how I, the only way to actually search emails is to, to, to go into the actual application itself. So uh, that would be something that you may need to have. Right, and and the, my, my kind of my rationale for that was is that the the Outlook application does gr- has great searching functionality on it. So as an example, I can go into Gmail and I can take a look at um, I, I don't even know what I would take a look at, but I'll, I'll let's go back to our friend Aaron and do a search for Aaron, um, and and just like that, I've now got search results from Aaron, and um, you know I can I can go back and see stuff in this dates all the way back into 2012, 2011, stuff like that. So it it actually looks like it's working pretty well and good enough for what I would need it for.
Okay, good. Because, yeah, searching uh, on the, the, the native mail application is uh, rough at best. Sometimes you get messages, sometimes you don't. And that is a frustrating aspect of it, uh, where a lot of times I'll have to just log into my uh, you know actual computer to a, an actual Outlook and find something. One of the other things that I will tell you that is nice, although the people application is limited in the functionality for like adding and editing and stuff like that. If I do an, an example, if I look for for Joey, uh, I do a search for you, I find you and I've got, again, I've got a million listings because it just lists them all. But I know the one that I'm looking for and that's that's your main contact here. And then I can see, I can just click on, there's a, there's a mail tab in your name and I click on that and it shows me all of the messages that you and I have sent back and forth to each other. So it's a, a really quick way to filter those out. It also does a files thing. Uh, so it shows me the files that you've sent me, which is mostly pictures. And then also I can see if there's any events, if I've got any upcoming events listed for you. So um, I, I, I do appreciate, I can appreciate stuff like that. So this to me is almost like um, it's like having the, it's like a, a web app uh, that's a, an actual app on your computer or on your, on your mobile device. It just, it seems to have some functionality built into it that you just don't get with those native apps from iOS. Yeah, that's, I mean, to me, that's kind of verging on the CRM kind of aspect where you're almost mm-hmm. getting a, kind of a, a central management point for a contact, which is uh, obviously handy in many circumstances. It, it is. And and I'm, I just am generally, I, I like that. Um, I don't necessarily need it as my primary application, uh, primary use case here for, for, you know, how I'm managing email, but to have it as kind of a reference thing, that is why Gmail went away is because all I would ever do with the Gmail application was search for an old message, but that was it. I, I wasn't, I wasn't really getting into anything on it. And uh, I've not deleted it, keep in mind, from the iPad. So I still have the Gmail app on the iPad. I've kind of been on a diet here with applications for my iPhone, just going through and just purging anything that I really hadn't used in the last couple of months. And uh, Gmail was absolutely one of them. So um, that that's what's happened there. But uh, again, Derek, thank you very much for the information here with Outlook. And uh, hopefully for those of you that have used Outlook or, or maybe you haven't used it and you're thinking about it, that gives you an idea of what it's like to use it. Well, that's it for today. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email or voicemails to questions at the cell phone junkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com.